Podcast Time Out for Mental Health is where we speak to sports figures, mental health experts, and leadership gurus about their experiences as it relates to mental health issues associated with depression, masculinity, and suicide. These sensitive topics are often swept under the rug, as detailed in my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a simple book for men about depression, masculinity, and suicide. Getting a handle on a man's masculinity will improve relationships, both personally and in the workplace. Everyone needs some support to ask for help when they feel off or a bit disoriented and foggy and don't know what is really going on with them. If they do not seek help, their behavior can turn dangerous, including alcoholism, drug and pill addiction, anger, fighting, violence, and in some cases, death by suicide. On Time Out for Mental Health, we want to uncover these issues so men and women can live a happy and healthy life, even though they do suffer from mental health issues. We're happy to have as our guest today, Joshua Copeland. Josh works with leaders who struggle with inner happiness and peace. He shares his own story of tragic losses and triumphant success to help others identify the root of their issues and create an action plan. His story is one of success, failure, and perseverance. It's one that will make you laugh, cry, and make you look inside at yourself to strive to be the best person you can be. Josh's audiences leave transformed with the insight and path to becoming the highest versions of themselves. He's gone from being a Division I athlete to someone who battled depression and alcoholism. He went from having only 33 cents in the bank account and jobless to running a successful business. Now he is sharing his story and experience to inspire and encourage his audience. Josh also has a podcast called The No Bull Podcast. So listen, rate, and review The No Bull Podcast on Spotify and Anchor. Josh, we're honored to have you uh, share some of your time with us today. How's it going today? You're, you're, mu- you're muted. Josh, you're muted. Okay, I apologize. I muted while you was talking. Yeah, so sorry, Tim. How are you, man? I'm honored to be here. Um, it, it's a beautiful day here in Ohio. Can't ask for better weather. Can't ask for, you know, better time than any time to really speak about this topic. I love your work. So it's, it's truly an honor. Great. Well, we're glad you're here and want to kind of do a deep dive so that we can help some others. Um, that sounds great. Josh, your work is unique and and it's very important, but I want our listeners to fully understand what you do and why it makes a difference to the average person. Can you explain that? Yes. So um, I started a company called Learning to Cope, um, and it's a play off my last name, but also coping with anxiety, depression, things of that nature uh, in 2017. So I started I played football at the University at Buffalo, um, and I graduated from there in 2012. And when I got done playing, I had a hard time figuring out an identity outside of sports. Um, I had played sports since I was five, six years old, uh, all the way up until 22, 23. So that's a long time to be uh, to do something, right? Anything. 
Um, you know, and, 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 you know, a regular nine to five job, you put in 30, 40 years, you can retire. So, you know, when you're something from a child and you, everybody that I met from five or six to, you know, even now I met in some way, shape or form through sports, whether it was a coach or coach's family outside of like my immediate family. Um, and so that, that becomes, and that became who I was because I saw that, uh, I was always a people pleaser. Right. I never wanted people to be mad at me. I never want people to be upset. And I saw that sports, because I was fairly good at it, was a way that I could connect with people and that I can kind of make people happy in a way by watching us win, watching me play. Um, and so I never took time to figure out who I was outside of that. So when that was all gone, I truly, truly struggled um, with just identity. It was a, a full identity shift, an identity crisis. And when you're at a, it's a delicate point where you're at a point where uh, you're trying to be somebody you've never been before and you're holding on to who you used to be, right? So it's a very delicate space and a lot of things can happen if you don't have the right tools or if you're not asking for help or you don't even want to ask for help. Um, so I truly struggle with that. And then I started talking to some of my teammates and um, one guy you mentioned my podcast, I'm actually doing the podcast with, he struggled really heavily with it as well. So I was like, this, there might be something here. And I started talking to more teammates, more teammates. And I realized that um, it's, it's across the board. And then I started speaking to athletes and I got asked one day to speak to a group of professionals. And so I did. And then it dawned on me that everybody goes through policemen because everybody goes to a point where they they have to become a, a new person if you will and so that like i said that's a delicate space so then it branched out to speaking to everybody i can about this because i think i think there's when when you're at that point right where where like you see your life shifting or you see you know something's coming up and there's or you've been through some uh, adversity some trauma some things if you're not equipped with the right tools to handle that mentally it throws you for a loop and then you're going to downward spiral trying to figure out. So I, my goal is to try to help people, anybody really uh, figure out what they want to do in life, who they are, and kind of put forth an action plan to accomplish the things they want to accomplish. Because I think there's nothing worse than kind of going through life um, with, with no purpose. You know, I think, I think when you do that, and I say a tragic loss in my bio uh, and I, I kind of got to try that because nobody really outside of, you know, people who family members who passed. But when you lose yourself, that's truly the worst loss, you know, in my opinion. When you lose yourself, you lose who you are, you lose your path. That's that's tragic. And so a lot of people, like you said, they don't bounce back from that. And so that's what I'm trying to do to help. Well, that's awesome. You know, it reminds me of the story of. Just like you were saying, how athletes, when when their career is finished, um, they have a difficult time assimilating into society. Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> when they're when they are playing, they go to the the gym. They they lift weights so that it will prevent injuries, uh. and they'll be strong to get through the physical portion of their game and <clears throat> NFL players, they'll get on a neck machine and through their legs and neck, 
they'll lift weights so that they are strong in their neck and prevent neck injuries. Mm -hmm. But when you're finished playing, you look back and say, Hey, where was the mental health machine? Mm. They didn't have that. And now here I am and have to deal with, you know, my mental wellness and whether, you know, I don't know if I have depression or anxiety or stress or, you know, but something is, is bothering me. And, and, and what I found through my research in my book is that if these, these issues go unchecked, which many men don't like to share what's going on with them. And this is where the masculinity issues come in that if that, if they don't get help with this, then the risky behavior turns up and it, it could turn into alcoholism. It can turn into uh, drug addiction, pill addiction, um, violence, domestic violence, rape, suicide and you know you see these mass shootings going on and the last thing in the news report is oh by the way we found that in in this person's file he has had a history of mental health issues but he never got any help for it and that's a shame you know when you see all this stuff going on and i i believe you know, 300 million people in the world, even more now after the pandemic, have depression. But only half of those get help. And most of those are men because, you know, how they look at masculinity. And whether it was from our father when we grew up uh, or, you know, media today, all about chest thumping and the macho guy, you know, I got everything. I'm great. My ego is, you know, is totally leading me and, you know, I'm bad. I'm nationwide, you know, and, uh, that, you know, there's nothing further from the truth. Uh, men have to learn how to ask for help and there's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that they're weak. It doesn't mean that they're not a man, a feminized man. It, it means that they're taking care of themselves, self-care, which is really one of the most important things to ward off mental health issues. So I understand what you're saying and I appreciate what you're saying. Um, what, so what was the spark that, led you down this path what what drives you to such a high level of excellence in the area that you're focusing on now yeah i think i think you touched on it earlier how um you said that there's no mental health machine right and we you know in sports that's called preventative maintenance so yep. you're doing things like stretching you're doing things to prevent an injury or prevent the injury from becoming worse than what it would have been and so you're right. In, in, in sports, in life in particular, 
Um, you know, we, we don't ask for help. We don't do the things to, to secure our mental and our mental state of mind on a daily basis that we need to do to handle all the adversity, to handle things that come up. Um, so once I saw that, obviously, you know, I went through my, my depression, I went through my, my alcoholism, um, anxiety, and I realized that, that I never really, I never knew what to call it. You know, I couldn't put my finger on it. I'm not feeling like myself and I don't know what it is because you're right. Nobody's ever mentioned to me that, hey, this if you go down this path or you start doing things, these are signs of depression. Right. These are red flags that that could lead to to spiraling out of control. And especially in sports, because you're right, football is such a macho sport, right? It's, you know, athletes, you're, you're big, strong guys, you work out all the time. So to say that you need help mentally is almost like, you know, it's almost sacrilegious, if you will. Like nobody mentions it because you're right, men, people take mental uh, health and mental illness as a mental weakness. And in sports, you talk to be mentally strong. You got to overcome adversity. You got to do these things. And, and, and you don't want to either let people down or you don't want to confirm that, oh my gosh, I might need help. Um, and so that, that drives me to try to, at least uh, when I speak to, in particular athletes, when I speak to them, I let them know that this is what's coming. Right. This is what's coming. Everybody in some way, shape or form will come to an identity crisis, identity shift. And this is what you're going to deal with mentally, because nobody helps you or tells you what to do with yourself mentally when you are all you have. Right. Right. When, when you're when you're in a dark spot and you're all you have, you have some embarrassment because you don't really want people to know. Um, I was in my hometown. And I, I went back home and, and I was not a, a celebrity, but I knew everybody. I have four brothers. We knew everybody in my town. And so when I got back home from playing and I was walking around, I did not want to be noticed simply because I felt in a way like a failure because I didn't go to the NFL. I couldn't find a job. Um, sorry. I could not find a job. Um, and I could not I could not do these things, but everybody's still looking at me. Like, okay, Josh, where, why aren't you trying out for the NFL? Is this all you're doing? And we don't allow, particularly, we don't allow people to change and evolve. We want to keep people in the box that we know them in. We don't allow them to change and evolve. So that's really what, what sparked it is, is trying to help and realizing that, you know, you can allow people to show them what's coming down the road maybe now they can do things to prevent we talk about that preventive maintenance things that that could you know when they deal with it they at least know have a point of reference okay well josh told me this tim told me this so now i know what plan of action i can take yeah that, that's really good stuff i i really appreciate that um let me ask you about your style that you use when you're working with these people. Is there a central message that you try to get across? Yes, yeah, so I came up with 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 an acronym um it, it's called COPE C O P E uh to play off my words, but it's basically um the C I help them uh, the C is for core values. We identify what their core values are because obviously as time goes on those may change. 
But if you can stick to your core values in any decision-making things that you come across, you will always be somewhat online with who you are as an individual. Uh, the O is for owning who you are. So we we try to get them to realize, okay, this is where whether you're depressed, own it right now or own where you are and put forth a plan of action. The P uh, is for putting yourself first and, and practicing self-care. Um, I truly think that that is, I truly think that that is, is so important. And, and the E is evolving into your authentic self. So that's really what I do. That's my style. We, we do a lot of writing activities and it's really a deep dive into who you are and being brutally honest with yourself. Because I think that that is, when you go into the ego and you go into the, especially, you know, like I said, men and masculinity, we, we're taught and not, not necessarily taught, but we don't want to seek help because we don't want to feel like we don't have all the answers. Um, you know, we like whether you get you you become successful at something, doing it the way you've done it, right? And so once now you think that you can transfer that that whatever you did into everyday life, and when that doesn't happen, and you don't you're not successful, you're hitting roadblocks, doing the same thing. It's hard to admit to yourself that I'm messing up, that I need help. Um, so that's really that's kind of my style. We do a deep dive into trying to identify core values and things of that nature to truly, truly get to the core of what the problem is. And now once you know that you can't unhear, you know, you can't, you know, you can't just you and, and not being in denial. So that's kind of my style. That's great. I think that's very thorough. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what, that's what people need to, to look at. And, and it's hard for people. Mm-hmm to kind of unthaw the ice, you know, and and (laughs) break break that barrier to do some self-discovery. I mean, that's what Uh helped was was doing self-discovery and taking a look at my previous behavior and seeing that um, all all the trends that were going on with me, you know, it was about making more money and chasing more skirts and traveling all over the world and women and and it was just it was driven by my ego you know Mm -hmm. and it was out of it was out of control and i noticed that and you know started figuring out what i needed to do to get help so that i could correct this behavior And, and it's a daily process you know it's not it's not like you know it's not like you're perfect all of a sudden, you know, you <laughs> constantly have to be like working out at the gym. So, mm-hmm. um, so I mean, you deal with a lot of stuff. You dealt, you dealt with yourself personally with alcoholism and depression. Um, <clears throat> you deal with clients in this area and, uh, I'm sure that your feelings and emotions are are deeply affected when you're in that space. And I'm wondering how you deal with that. Do you, did you ever ask for help with that, and why or why not? Um, so that that that's that's a great question. Um, like I said, when I was going through my depression, and so I was never I was never a drinker in high school or college. I was always the designated driver. 
I never picked up a drink. I was like laser focused. Okay, I'm an athlete. Like I, this is for me to maximize my full potential. So then once I got done and I, like I said, I was lost for who I was as a person. I was like, there's nothing stopping me from drinking. You know, and he's like, why, why not? And that's the only way I could look myself in the mirror if I wasn't the person I was looking at, right? I didn't know who I was looking at in the mirror. So, um, and so I, I there, there was a couple instances that truly got me to realize, okay, I need help. And I never truly went out and, and saw, you know, a therapist or did. My therapy was talking to people. That was my therapy, sharing my story, hearing their story, starting a dialogue, a dialogue that helped me out. And so I got I got pulled over for a DUI in my hometown and um, and I knew all the cops. So I was like, if I'm a mile from my house, if it's this cop that I know, they're going to, you know, let me walk home or take me home. It was actually a state trooper. And as I'm doing the sobriety test, my college, my, my high school classmate pulls up and he's coming for backup. And I saw the, the look on his face of disappointment. And I was like, okay, I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot. You know, like I, I went from being an athlete and now somebody knows because it's easy to, to hide it. You know, if, if you are trying to put forth this facade, you're trying to put forth this image, it's easy to hide it sometimes. And I was like, oh my gosh, somebody knows. And then um, the second instance that truly threw me I alcohol wasn't doing it for me. So now I started smoking. And then one night I was, I was really drunk. I was high and I had a full blown panic attack. And so I'm running down the street. It's January 18th in Ohio. So it's cold. And it's three in the morning. I'm running down the street trying to go get to my house. I'm about five miles from my house. And the whole time I'm thinking, who can I call? And I was like, I can't call my mom because now she'll know. Can't call my dad because now they'll know. They'll panic because I'm freaking out at mid, you know, at two in the morning. Can't call the police because now it gets out that a local star in my hometown is now dealing with all these, um, you know, this addiction and, and alcoholism. Um, so at one of my weakest moments and lowest moments in my life, after being a people pleaser, there was not many people I could call on. And so I actually ended up calling one of my friends from Buffalo and they talked me home. But that dawned on me that if I don't get help for myself, it's going to I'm going to end up either in jail, an addict or I'm going to end up dead. And so that truly changed everything for me. And then I started speaking and, and, and that's been more therapeutic than anything I probably could ever do. Yeah, that's a great story. And I appreciate your vulnerability telling everybody that. Well, you mentioned your father, and I want to ask you how you would characterize your father as a man. Was he tough on you? Did he ever show you love, discuss his emotions and feelings? Um, my father's a great man. My father is an amazing, amazing man. We grew up, it was a, a lot of us in the house, and so he worked two or three jobs. Um, so we we knew he loved us. You know, he we knew that he loved us and he showed he was more through action. Um, so he showed, OK, um, you know, as, as a man, you have to provide as a man. You have to go to work even when you don't want to, especially when you have responsibilities. So it wasn't until we I got older that we really sat down and had some conversations about certain things that he went through, certain instances as a kid that I remember. I asked him, like, what was going through your mind here? Um, and so, yeah, my father's a great man. Um, love him to death. Um, and, and it's funny that you said, like, has he ever show love? We never really said I love you growing up. 
Um, but as I got older, we, we stayed every time we go off the phone. And I think that that's key um, because I worked with high school students and, and, you know, who don't have a father figure or, you know, in their life. And, and they're, they're constantly lost. So to have somebody that I can draw on for um, for advice, have somebody who's, you know, who's vulnerable enough to say, I love you for your son. It's amazing. And that kind of helps what I do and being able, OK, well. I, if, if whatever, it just allows me to have a blueprint for how I want to go and how I want to raise my daughter. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, you know, unfortunately when I grew up, you know, my dad was not present mm -hmm. and I could ask him questions and, uh, he, he just couldn't get there. He, he, he couldn't, couldn't spit it out. Mm. And, like I said before, I think that this is a major problem uh, in our society today is, is men being able to ask for help. They, they don't want to be pigeonholed as, you know, not a real man. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, they think that it, it'll make them weak and they don't trust others with their, with their thoughts and feelings. And, you know, it's about finding the right men or mm -hmm. group to be with that it's a safe environment to take your mask off and, and you know, share exactly what's going on with you. Because, mm -hmm. you know, we, we all go through the same stuff pretty much. <laughs> Terminally unique and no one's like them and no one goes through what they go through. But the truth is that, you know, all of our stories are, are pretty similar in nature. And, uh, you know, when we seek out help, uh, and, and get the right help. Um, I mean, it took me, it took me years. I, I was 41 years, uh, addicted to marijuana. And I, I tried to, I saw a half a dozen different therapists until eight and a half years ago when I got sober and the guy took four months of, we talked once a week and he did all this research on me to then make a diagnosis that I had severe depressive disorder that's reoccurring. Uh -huh. And that that was the um, that was the spark that that led to all my addictions. And you know, once I once he arrived at that and prescribed a solution, you know, my life's never been better. You know, I, I've you, and you you mentioned the authentic self. And, you know, I was leading a double life before. I was a, a television executive negotiating, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in contracts for Fox. And at the same time, I was getting high before, during, and after work because of the stress and the anxiety and the depression that was going on within me. And you know, leading a double life, that's, 
that's so difficult. It wears on you so much. And now that I've let that go and, and received the help, I feel like every day I become more of my authentic self. And that's why I'm so vulnerable in my story because it's the truth. I lived it. I don't care what other people think. I'm just trying to be of service and through my story to help other men and women to realize what it takes to have, you know, happy and healthy relationships, even if they have mental health issues, it can be managed. It, it doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean that your life's over, you know, it, you get help, it, you can manage things. And just one side note before we move on, and that's, you know, most of the feedback I get on, online is from women who applaud what I do because they're so often the victim of this, you know, toxic masculinity that, you know, men talk over them and you know, don't value what they say and don't want to listen to them, don't want to empathize with them, don't want to ask them questions, you know, so that the woman feels like she's not heard and thus she's not happy in the relationship, whether it's, whether it's at home or in the workplace. I mean, the stuff that goes on in the workplace today, you know, this, this toxic masculinity is alive and well. A lot of people think, oh, it's changed. Well, that's bull that's bullshit, you know. <laughs> the, women today are talked over in, in, in the in the workplace. They'll they'll go and talk with their supervisor and say, look, you know, I've got this idea and they'll explain it. And the guy will sit there and say, you know, that's a good idea, but you're a woman. And that's that's just downright hideous. And uh you know, the, the, the real man and the real leader of his team um, allows a safe environment for everybody, including women, to be exactly who they are and not be intimidated by who they are and, and blend everything together for, you know, just like 11 guys on the football field, you know, everybody's got their role so that that play, you know, the, the runner can get through the hole and, and, and score a touchdown. So it's, it, it's something that really, um, it's bothersome to me. And that's, that's part of the reason why I do what I do is because I, I see what's going on and, and, you know, the organizations are the ones that lose, their productivity uh, is 20 to 30% less because they're not assimilating women or, or genders or people of color into their team so that they can get full uh, results that, you know, affects their profitability and, and their, their revenue. So it, it, it's an issue and, uh, you know, it's a universal one, and that's that's my mission is to get the word out there that you know this can be resolved, and it, and it's not as big a mountain to climb as you think it is. So, um, 
Let me ask you about abuse and what role you think abuse plays in, in, in this physical, mental, emotional uh, position that we find ourselves in during life. Um, I, I, once I left my home uh, and went to school, I, I realized that I was abused physically and verbally and emotionally. And, but I didn't realize that that was why I was smoking pot all the time uh, because it made me feel, you know, better, but I didn't, you know, that was the effect. The cause was this severe depressive disorder that, you know, I don't know for sure, but probably the root was the abuse that my mother and father, uh, you know, kind of threw at me. So, what do you think the role of abuse is in, in this whole area? Um, well, Tim, I, I, I love what you do. I'm going to say, you know, again, I love the work you do, and I think that it's so important. And, and you know, abuse, I think, plays a, a, a big role, especially if you're abused at, at, as a child um, or as a teenager, whether it's physical, emotional, um, you know, you're, you're that because as a child and growing up, you're, you're earning for approval, right? You're earning for, especially from your parents or loved ones, you're, you're, you're looking to get approval. You're looking to not disappoint. And, and, and you're such at a vulnerable state mentally that your mind hasn't fully developed. So when you go through any sort of trauma, you might suppress it and then it shows up later in life. And so I think that that is key, um, and, and I think that that's the, plays a big role into people because you learn to cope with it in some way, shape or form as a child. Right. You know, and, and a lot of times uh, parents, they, they and it, it's a cycle. A lot of times parents deal with abuse or something when they was a child and they never fully addressed it. So they release that on their kid and they don't allow their kids to get help. They don't allow their kids to seek people be or speak on it because now you're letting out family business. You know, you're letting out secrets. You're letting this out. And, you know, if you tell, I, like I used to work in high schools and, and watching the kids come in and, and hearing what they deal with. And I can't tell anybody because then they're going to, I'm going to be separated from my family. And then my family's going to fall apart and it's all my fault. You know, that whole guilt, goes into it so then they start doing things to cope with that mentally and internally and they don't do those healthy they don't do it healthy you know there's no healthy ways to do it because you're never really allowed to talk about it um so i think that that plays a key role into like you said identifying and becoming your authentic self is identifying these things putting a name and a label on it it's so powerful and as a child you might not even know what that is but as an adult you start to think back and you, like like you were saying you start to do things and you're like I don't know where that comes from or you never really identified it so that I, I truly think that you know any type of abuse whether it's trauma like I said a physical emotional anything like that plays a big part into people going down dark paths as they get older yep agreed okay so You've had a, a lot of experiences so far, and I'm wondering if you could share with us if there's one or two things that in particular stick out that, that uh, something that you learned from all of your experiences so far. 
Ooh, ah, I, I, it's hard to pick just one, <laughs> you know, because uh, you, you learn stuff from people all the time. If you come with the open mind, right? If you come with the open mind and you put your ego at the door, um, you can learn a lot of things. Um, so there's, I gonna say two. Um, the first one is no matter what you're doing, uh, take, take truth for truth, not who's saying it. You know, I think that that's huge because I think that a lot of times um, we, we get caught up in who's saying it and not what the actual truth is. And then our emotions get into it. And then we, we're blocked off. We don't want to hear. We're not taking to their advice. And like you said, a lot of times in the workplace, women are, are overlooked, but they have really great advice. You know, you need you need that to get a whole picture and, and, and try to solve a problem holistically. Right. You need every angle. And if you're only looking from it one sided, you're truly only doing things that truly like, let's say in, in teams, when I talk to leaders and, and people from a team, um, I, I, I preach that you have to get everybody's opinion because they're looking at it from different angles. And I would not my wife and I, we look at things completely opposite. <laughs> um but I, I would not be where I'm at if I didn't take her advice because she looks at things very, very differently than I do. And she may see things that I do not see because I'm more of a big picture, big goal person. I don't really care too much about the details. And she's like, no, you have to do this. And I'm like, that makes sense. Um, so being open-minded to hear it. And the last thing that I, I, I would say is learn to put yourself first. And that does not mean that you're selfish. And I say that because I use this 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 little analogy. Uh, Harriet Tubman, right? She was a slave. She freed herself, and then was able to go back and free hundreds of slaves. But the first person she had to free was herself, right? In order, she had to be selfish in a moment to be selfless for a lifetime. And I think that that's what we don't get because as men, in particularly, we we are valued and we see our value by what we can produce and what we can provide. So our value is tied up in the end product and not the process to get the numbers. We're so tied up in the making a certain amount of money. We're so tied up in the selling certain amount of things that that in a way it drives you, but it makes you, it could, it could lead you down a dark path if your sole identity is tied up into results. Yep. Great. Well, one last question. Uh, personally, yes, how do you describe masculinity? Mm, that's a um, that's that's a tough question because there's no there's no universal answer. You know, there's no universal answer for this is what masculinity is. But for me, I would say um, finding out who you are and finding out what your strengths and weaknesses are, and working on those because I think that we masculinity is so tough because because there's no universal thing people put what they think it means you know and people put their own opinion and agenda on it and that can be they use it to manipulate and, and try to do things um because you know uh, you know you're told being a man is never to be show emotion that's soft never be vulnerable because people take advantage of you well that's the complete opposite in my opinion um, being true, true strength is being vulnerable and showing who you are and working on yourself. So to me, that's what masculinity is, is 
knowing who you are, identifying that and working on those things and playing to your strengths, but also working on your weaknesses. So it's like a weird, it's a twist to it. Um, so that, that's kind of how I would define that. All right. I'll, that's good. I, I'm going to give you my two cents. Um, yes, sir. Uh, I, I see it as, as three elements that a man has to master in order to be walking down that path of masculinity. And, and one is strength that, you know, we all know that men, you know, can lift heavy objects and boxes and pianos down the, down the stairs, but also strength in knowing that he has to have certain discussions with people in his in his life whether it's his wife his daughter people at work and he knows that the truth needs to be spoken even though the other person might not be comfortable with that that discussion and another side of of the triangle uh, or the elements is a man needs to have a sense of humor. He needs to <laughs> take life, you know, lighten up a little, you know, not everything is so serious and, you know, life is to enjoy. It's to have fun and, and enjoy. And so many men are wound so tight around who they are and what their image is and what other people think of them. And, you know, are they successful at work and, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, they got to relax and enjoy. Um, and the third one is spirituality. I think that no matter what the man chooses for his connection to something higher than himself, that he must make that connection uh, as a grounding tool to be able to go there when things go awry and you're off track. And for me, you know, I pray and meditate and try and, you know, quiet my mind so that I can listen to the messages that I believe, you know, my God or higher power, you know, is trying to communicate to me that are all around me all the time. But, you know, sometimes I get too busy and, and and don't take the time to you know quiet my mind and and listen to what you know the next the next step is in my life according to god so if a man has those three qualities i think he's on a good path towards masculinity so but it's a big topic it's a big topic <laughs> uh, you know men really need to uh, talk about it and learn from others and be enlightened about it. Cause you know, this egotistical pound your chest, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood style <laughs> is just, it's getting old and uh, you know, people, especially women don't, don't like it. Well, as you can see, Joshua's story is quite remarkable. He's demonstrated courage, bravery, and giving to his community. I think he's a true role model for our world today. And we're honored to have you on our podcast today, Josh. Do you, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share with us? 
Yeah, Tim, I mean, it's, it's been an honor. I, I, I really love the conversation we're having. And, and I, I released a podcast, a teammate of mine. Uh, it's called the No Bull Podcast. Um, please check it out. We, we talk about everything from mental health and sports, kind of like this conversation. And we, we, we dive deep into that. So please check it out. And also, um, you know, you can find me at joshcopelandspeaks.com. Um, you know, if you would like to, to further conversation or you'd like me to come speak, please find me there. Cool. Well, listeners, please look out for our podcast, Time Out for Mental Health, wherever you get your podcasts, including the Mental Health News Radio Network and Health excuse me, healthylife.net. And keep your eyes out for my upcoming book, You Don't Have to Swallow Your Gun, a book about relationships, depression, suicide, and how toxic masculinity affects relationships between men and women. Please feel free to contact me for personal coaching and speaking engagements through my website, timcrass.com, T-I-M-K-R-A-S-S.com. And don't forget to have fun, everybody.